Let us uh, go to the letter to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. Or uh, I see I have uh, actually given up 10 as our reading and then 1 as the text. So let's do that. We go to chapter 10 and then go back to 1. We start reading there in chapter 10, verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly, that is 10 verse 11, repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ has offered, had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And we've just sung about that actually. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near thus far from Hebrews 10 now let us turn to chapter 1 verse 1 through 4 long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these days Last days, he he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. 
Well, I said this morning that both sermons are preached in the light of the great falling away of people in our continent, in the West, Europe and here and other places, walking away from the faith, from the church and so on. And so this afternoon I want to ask you a a simple question again like I did this morning. Where is your Jesus? Where is your Savior? The one you love. The one you think about. The one you worship. Are you deeply aware of where he is all the time, all through the week? When you pray, where do you imagine him? Where do you picture him, if I may say that? I'm saying your Jesus, for I have no doubt where our Jesus is, the real Jesus Christ. But I'm talking of your experience. That is vital. You see, the project of secular humanism for a couple of centuries now, which is now almost complete in the West, it seems, was very simple. It was to elevate man and to eradicate God from our collective consciousness. To elevate man and to eradicate God. That was their program. And how will they eradicate The Christian God from our consciousness by either making you ashamed of Jesus or making you skeptical about him or just making you forget about him by all the things that you're entertained with. They use every means at their disposal. It's, It's an evil one working in on our world doing this. So how are you doing? How are you doing? Where is your Jesus? Are you sure? Are you excited about him? Recently I listened to, I I watched a video from a friend uh, about a professor of mine back in the old country who became a pan-entheist. Can't explain that now, but that is definitely not biblical. And, And he explains why he ended up there because God is so far. God is so far away. So panentheism might be more appealing. Where is your God? You can sit here in the church and where is he? If you go into a Catholic church, you will see there's a crucifix right in front. All Catholic churches. I have on my mother's side, Lutheran roots, and sometimes I went into a Lutheran church. There's also a crucifix right in the front. Jesus on the cross. In the minds of many, he is on the cross. That's the last view of him. When I flew to Africa once, I took Egyptian airlines, I went through Egypt. I had a free pass into the city because of the long layover and I didn't want to see sphinxes and pyramids. I wanted to see the ancient Christian district and I went in there. I went into two churches of the Eastern Orthodox tradition. 
And they have sustained a lot of persecution, more than Catholics and Protestants. What struck me is that Jesus is not on the cross. He's on the throne. They have a fresco of him on the throne. That's a different idea. You, you can agree with me. Now, I'm not here to, to promote icons or images, but to make a point. Where is our Jesus? May the Holy Spirit use Hebrews to open our eyes to realize again where he is. I could have taken you to Ephesians, for instance, and Colossians. Same thing. Paul says, I pray that God would open the eyes of your minds that you will see where he is and that the same power that raised him from the dead is at work in you, that he is seated above all principalities and power that's what I pray for you. That you will know where he is. We sang about that. So let us see in the first place that Jesus sat down. We saw that in the first paragraph of this book. God spoke in many places, in many ways. And now in these last days through his son, he is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by his power. But after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. That is the image we should have. Our king who sat down at the right hand of God. Until all his enemies have been made. And will be made a footstool unto his feet. This is royal language from the ancient world. Kings did not tolerate opposition. They did not tolerate protests in the streets even. They ruled. And this Jesus is a king. He's not just another king. He is the king of kings. And the lord of lords. And the Heir of all things. He received a name far above the names of angels. And angels are not these little weird creatures. You sometimes see in homes this nice white fluffy stuff. No. They are mighty. But he has received a name far above theirs. In fact to which of the angels did God ever say sit at my right hand? Till I have made your enemies the footstool of your feet. The Bible says the entire creation will be rolled up like a garment. But you, O King, Jesus, will remain forever. Your years will never end. Your majesty and glory is unparalleled. So not only has he sat down as king. At the right hand of the majesty. The Holy Spirit says. God had spoken to our fathers through the prophets. But in his last days. He's, he has spoken to us by his son. And the last days have not ended. And he has not stopped to speak. He still speaks. So he sits there as king. But he speaks to us as prophet. Our teacher. Our heavenly teacher. Our final teacher. 
This is why some bishop in, in Australia could say to his own prime minister, Mr. So-and-so, please don't try to impose all these values on us. You know, the LGBT values. We have a king. We have a teacher. And we listen to him. All the Christians in the world listen to him, O prime minister. We will pray for you. We will submit to you. But please do not think we're going to submit to your teaching. We have one. One who teaches us. So he's our prophet. Our teacher. And that's why the Hebrew writer can warn us today when you hear his voice. Don't harden your hearts. See what happened to the people of old in the, in the wilderness. Don't let your heart be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, by the wiles of the devil, by the things of the world. So that you may enter into his rest. The eternal Sabbath rest. The promised land. For his voice is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Everything is open before his eyes. There is nothing hidden from him. Don't harden your heart. Don't go there. Be soft and pliable and open and transparent before God. Confess your sin and listen to him. And love him. But then he says he's also your priest. Our high priest. And that is what the rest of the book is all about. Kings reign, prophets speak, and priests, what do they do? They minister on behalf of us before God and so on. And more specifically, Jesus is our high priest. The only one qualified to go into the holiest of all on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, in the month Tishri. Now you know how it worked. On that gray day once in a year, the high priest had to even take off his normal priestly garments and put on white robes. He was completely covered in linen in white. And then there were two goats. One goat for a sin offering, another goat for Azazel, the one to be chased into the wilderness. And lots were drawn, and then one goat was slaughtered, and the blood was taken into the sanctuary, and the other one was chased into the wilderness. I'm not sure of this, but I have some idea or some personal opinion that the one represents Our guilt before God that we have that has to be eradicated by God objectively. He has to wipe it clean. And the other one represents our subjective consciousness. Our conscience feeling bad about our sin. Feeling it. That also has to happen. We need to be cleansed on the inside. As much as our guilt has to be 
taken away before God's face, it also has to be cleansed inwardly from our conscience. And so the high priest would go in there. First of all, he must sacrifice for his own sins, of which he was reminded again and again. But then finally he took the blood into the holiest of all. Only him could go in there once a year behind the second curtain. He would sprinkle it, sprinkle it seven times on the altar. And then he would come out. And the people were waiting with bated breath. And he would appear from behind the curtain to pour out the last blood at the foot of the altar and to raise his hands and to bless them with the ironic blessing. Can you imagine that moment? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. But, but the high priest had to do that here in and here out. For there was a reminder of sins. There was always a reminder of sins. But now Hebrews says, Jesus became man in order to be for us that high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And first of all, he needed to understand our weakness. He knew temptation and suffering. He felt from our side what it is to be a human being without sinning. He cried out with tears during his time with us, begging God in prayer to have mercy on him so that he would not quit and he remained without sin and he went through all of this so that he could be a merciful compassionate high priest understanding you and me sympathizing with our weakness and he offered him himself up once and for all that's the one thing about this high priest. He didn't have any of his own sin. That's why he brought only one sacrifice that was perfect. But not only did he do that. Not only did he suffer. And does he know what it means to be human. He did something else. Very wonderful. He took upon himself our flesh. As Athanasius writes so amazingly. So that he could find death in the body. It's the only way to slay this monster. He slew the dragon by entering death with his indestructible life. For he was holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners when he entered death. That's why the grave could not hold him. The prince of the world had nothing on him. He found death in the body. And obliterated it. He offered up his life once for all. So that we shall no longer live in the fear of death. But in the joy 
of the Lord. And so, the Hebrew writer says, that is the high priest we have. He knows who we are. And he has conquered death there where it's the only way. In the flesh, in the body. But because he was innocent, he rose again. And now, he ascended. The book of Hebrews is the book of the ascension. What is the ascension about, children? You remember the high priest going behind the curtain with the blood? That's what Jesus did. He went behind the curtain of the clouds with the blood, not of bulls and goats, but his own blood, the blood of the new covenant, the blood of sprinkling. That is what happened when Jesus ascended as king of all kings, as our eternal prophet and merciful high priest. And that is where our Jesus is and your Jesus and where you must see him, where you must visualize him. And that brings me now to chapter 10. This is the whole culmination, the whole highlight of this entire letter is chapter 10, I believe. The passage we have read, especially from verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, That is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance, with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. Did you hear there? So in light of everything we've heard so far. In in light of the fact. That we now have Jesus representing our Humanity at the right hand of God, his new people on earth is represented there. We are represented there at God's right hand. In the light of the fact that he is our high priest over the house of God, the Hebrew writer says three times, let us, let us, let us. Three times. Let us what? Let us draw near. Now we know what it means to draw near. You have to come somewhere, right? Draw near for coffee. Draw near. So that is the implication of knowing where Christ is and believing where he is. We draw near. 
if you don't draw near, your faith is useless, meaningless. And why do we draw near? If you analyze these words in chapter 10. We draw near because we need constant cleansing. If we have been saved by his grace, we need constant cleansing. He went there with the blood of the new covenant. We need to be sprinkled. Calvin said, the blood of Christ is sprinkled on the church, on the congregation, under the preaching. If they receive it with faith. We need cleansing, number one. If you are not cleansed from sin, you harden. Your heart gets hardened. Secondly, our hope needs to be renewed all the time. We get tired. We get discouraged. That is why we need to draw near. And in the third place, we have need of one another. Don't neglect your, your gathering together as some are in the practice of doing. But draw near so that you can encourage each other in love and good works. That's the third reason why we draw near. So how do we draw near? We do it by both publicly and privately coming to God in worship. In true worship in the spirit. It's not either or. It is there in your own personal life. With your family around the table. With yourself. Even when you walk in the field or drive in the car. Drawing near. You need sprinkling from the high priest. You need hope. You need encouragement. That's why we draw near. And then we draw near here. You will find that people who don't draw near in their personal lives eventually will not draw near here. They will lose interest in it. Give some time. And those who don't draw near here, I don't need institutionalized religion. They will pray for a little while there and then they will stop doing that as well. Is not an either or. This is the proof that we are living in faith but home. That we are in communion with God. Now we express it corporately. And so that is how we show that we have a high priest and a king and a prophet at the right hand of God. We want to hear God's word from this pulpit. We want our king to rule. He is ruling. But we want our prophet to teach us. And we need the forgiveness of our sins and the renewal of the spirit. So we draw near. Now I mentioned at the start the great falling away. Now, by the way, that's not everywhere. There are many places in the world where there's amazing growth in spite of persecution where, and, and poverty and what else. So it's our Western world with its own problems. So here is a word 
from Hebrews. For those who fall away. The rest of chapter 10 has a very, very severe warning. And the warning must be understood in the light of the let us, let us, let us draw near, let us not forsake meeting together so that we can be sprinkled, so that we can be recharged and encourage one another in love and good works. Then it says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. This is a warning against those who walk away. Who don't see any use of gathering with God's people anymore. That was the problem there. Other circumstances though in Hebrews. It's a severe warning. If you don't draw near anymore, do you know what you will end up doing? This is not me saying it. This is God. You will trample the blood of the Son of God under your feet. And you will slight and you will insult the spirit of grace. How does that sound? It's not just, oh, we're no longer Christians. Oh, no, we're, we're not affiliating with Christianity. This is how the Bible describes it. And then the Bible says... It is fearful to fall in the hands of the living God. Our God is a consuming fire. Walking away from a God of grace, a faithful God, a righteous God, a loving Father who gave us His Son, who prompts us by His Spirit, is serious. I don't want to trample the blood of Jesus under my feet. I don't want to treat that blood as an unholy thing and insult the Holy Spirit. None of you want to do that. Never. And so, why do people drift away? Because they have forgotten where Jesus is. At the right hand of the Father. And that is coming again. They have forsaken the assembling of the saints. And their private worship at home. And they have allowed sin to harden their hearts. They are plugged into the world. And no longer to the kingdom of God. It's plain and simple. And that's why the Hebrew writer says, We are, 
sure of better things about you. Hang in there. Hang in there. Fight the good fight of faith. It's worth to persevere. That's what chapter 11 is all about. Look at these saints of old. How they have persevered. How they have endured. And they are cheering us on. For you see... We have already arrived. As the people of God. Sanctified through Jesus Christ. In a sense we have already arrived. At Mount Zion. The battle is won. The Lord is almost here. His hand is on the latch of the door. As I have said this morning, or it was this afternoon in London, just be patient. We need endurance. We already, says the Hebrew writer, when we gather here, we gather with the angels, the cherubim, the saints made perfect. We are ready before the throne of God and of Jesus Christ. What we need now is patience and endurance. For very soon, my beloved, you remember the people standing outside the temple or the tabernacle waiting for the high priest to come from behind the curtain. That climactic moment the highlight of the year. I think you could live for months just on that scene, coming, the high priest coming out blessing you. That's where you are now. Keep your eyes on the clouds. He's going to come. The high priest is going to appear very soon. And what a blessed day that will be for you. And then we will be forever with the Lord. And he will make all things new. And all the sorrow and sin and suffering will be forgotten. For God will come to dwell with us after you have judged the living and the dead. So keep your eyes on the curtain of the true temple, the true sanctuary where he has gone. And so, may the Lord bless you. Fixing your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. Let us pray. Lord our God, we thank you for your word. 
your word is so relevant to whatever is happening in the world, sometimes in our own hearts. Help us to be excited about it again. Lord, and to resist the spirit of this age and our own flesh and the devil. We thank you for our our high priest, prophet and king. And Father, we thank you that he is coming soon. By your Holy Spirit, keep us strong. Help us to encourage one another to faith and love and good works. And not to neglect the gathering of your saints. And Lord, to repent of our sins. To ask for your forgiveness. So that our conscience may be cleansed through the blood of the new covenant. In Jesus' name, amen.